to Romans chapter 12. And yes, that should sound familiar, because if you were here in Sunday school, that's exactly what Nitten said too. And as soon as he said that, I said, he better not preach my message this morning, and he did. But uh, somebody must need it. We all need it, right? And uh, God knows what he's doing when, he, when we are, as, as much as we can, surrender to what he wants us to do and what he wants us to preach, especially. And uh, we're going to look at the same verses that he, that he had us look at this morning. I'm going to go in a little bit of a different direction with that. Uh, but the, the truths uh, that we find there in those verses are still the same. But think about this. Suppose if you could change anything about yourself, where would you start? Well, what, what, lots of us would start on the outside. You know, maybe you'd like to be skinnier or taller or better looking or who knows what, you know, but maybe you'd change your eyes or your hair or your teeth or your nose, you know, people, people always get in these facial reconstruction surgeries because they don't like the way they look, and they want to look like somebody else. They want to look different, right? If you could wave a magic wand and change your outward appearance, would it be uh, uh, maybe a, a light touch-up or an extreme makeover? You know, I always thought how interesting it would be if you could actually do Photoshop in real life. You know, you, you could just click on your face and change whatever you want to change about it. What would you change, you know? Uh, would, would anybody even be able to recognize you by the time we were all done with that? But, but I think we all go through periods in our lives where we desperately want to change uh, our outward appearance. I, th- I think teenagers live in the constant state of, of fear that they don't look good enough, so they tinker with this and they change their, you know, their, their, uh, the way they comb their hair or the way they do this or the way they do that, and, and you know, they try to experiment with this fad or that fashion and, and this t-shirt and that hat or whatever it happens to be, right? Because everybody's, nobody's satisfied with the way they look. But when we, when we get older, we get a little bit smarter, or do we? Uh, we, we spend hours trying to find the, the right dress or the right you know, pair of pants or the right t-shirt that'll make us look the, the, the way that we think we look the best, right? Uh, and, and then, of course, we, we diet obsessively and we work out and we'll do that for a while and then we give it up. And then we do it for a while and we give it up, but we're constantly on a diet, right? It seems like that's the way it is with most people. Uh, it's good for our health, but it can be a losing battle. After we lose that weight and finally look good, it tends to come back again and then we have to go on another diet and everything else. But and you finally, you reach that stage in life where it's easier to simply just cover it up than to try to lose it, right? <laughs> Buy bigger clothes, you know, make, make clothes that, that, that look a little bit better on you, you know? Um, and in extreme cases, we might just give up altogether and stop caring how we look. I'm, I'm getting to that point myself, you know? Uh, whatever. I'm just going to be fat the rest of my life. I guess that's the way it is, right? But as hard as it is to change on the outside, it seems uh, infinitely harder to change something on the inside. Right? If there's anything we know about human nature, it's that people change very, very slowly if they change at all. Right? Uh, think about the struggles of your own life. What would you change about your inside if you could change anything you wanted to right now? Would you change your impatient spirit? Would you change your critical tongue? Would you change the envy that you have for other people around you? Would you? Would you change your spirit of discontentment? Would you change your lingering resentment towards somebody else or about something else? Would you, would you change the lust that you just can't seem to conquer? Would you change the overbearing stubbornness? Would you change a judgmental spirit? Would you change a quick temper? Would you change a, a profound discouragement or maybe an ungrateful spirit? There, there's so many things that we have within us right now that we'd probably, if we had the opportunity to wave a magic wand, we'd like to change. 
I believe that's one of the greatest prayers we could ever pray is this, Lord, please change me. Lord, please change me. Those two words can have such a profound impact on our spiritual lives if we pray it and mean it. If, we, if I were to ask, I think we would all want to change for the better, but we don't know how to do it. We don't know where to begin. We all dream of being something different or being a better person than we are right now. Advertisers know that, by the way. That's why your email inbox is, is crammed full of ads that are trying to tell you how to, uh, you know, how to uh, lose weight, how to make money overnight, how to learn a language, how to be a better golfer or whatever, right? I mean, they all know that. They know that people want to change. They know that people want to be better than they are right now. So they're, they're always giving you advertisements on how you can change this or change that or do this better or do that better, right? I, I, got, a, I got an email the other day that said, watch unwanted pounds melt away. I like that metaphor, right? I mean, what a great idea if, if you could just sit there and watch the pounds melt away, right? I mean, if you could just buy a pill and take it and the pounds just melted away, wouldn't that be wonderful, right? doesn't seem to work like that very often. But change is hard, isn't it? Go to any bookstore, you'll see an entire wall full of self-help books. Why are those books there? Because people want to change. People want to do things differently, right? Helping people change is big business nowadays. But when we get up in the morning... And we look in the mirror, all we see is the same person that's always been looking back at us. Because change is hard. That's why we move. That's why we change jobs. That's why we get a facelift, buy a new car, start a new career, change churches, go somewhere else and start working out, buy a new outfit, and on and on the list goes. It's not as if those things are wrong in and of themselves, but sometimes we, sometimes we need to make outward changes. But it's not so much the outward stuff that trips us up, is it? It's the stuff on the inside that we can't seem to fix. And that brings us to our text this morning. It's one of the better known verses in the New Testament, especially for us this morning because Nitin already read it. But it says this in Romans chapter 12 and verse number one, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Having Bible knowledge is good, but knowledge alone is not going to change your life. Right? And here's, here's my point this morning. Most of us change very slowly if we change at all. And, and, a few, and few of us make any lasting changes except under pressure and as a result of a lot of pain. Right? And that's why a lot of times that's good for us. Right? God puts us through the fire and we come out on the other side more purified. We come out on the other side more, more precious, like gold, as the Bible says, right? But uh, there is no growth without struggle. But here's the good news. Patterns of sin in your life can be broken. Most people that struggle with things in their life think, I'll never get out of this cycle. How am I ever going to break it? How am I ever going to get away from this? How am I ever going to break free from this thing that has got me bound, I just cannot seem to get away with it. As much as I try not to have a critical spirit, I always do. As much as I try not to be unthankful, I always am. As much as I try not to, to have lust, I always do. As much as I try to change, I just can't. But the good news is, yes, you can. You can change. It can be broken. It'll take more than a quick prayer at the end of an invitation, though. And that's what most people are not willing to sacrifice. You can see significant growth in your spiritual life, but it's not going to come without a cost. So this morning, what I want to share with you is how we can change. 
And that's just, that's the simple title of the message this morning is this, change me. Change me. That's a prayer that we all ought to be praying to God every single day when we wake up, every single time when we face that temptation, every single time when something comes up in our life where we say, I just can't get over that. God, change me. Change me. So let's see how we can see effective change in our lives to help make us more like Christ this morning. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for an opportunity to be here. Thank you for your goodness to us. I pray that you'd use this message in our hearts this morning. Use the word of God as we look at these different verses to help change us into your image and be who you want us to be. God, I pray that you'd help us to respond in the way that you'd want us to respond this morning. We thank you for all that you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you will, because the first point is this. Change starts with salvation. Change starts with salvation. Romans chapter 12 and verse number 2, we just read it, but it says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. Many of you in here this morning already know Jesus Christ as your Savior, but there may be somebody in here that does not. There may be several somebodies in here that does not. In a crowd this size, I can't help but think that there's got to be some people in here that don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, or at least don't have that settled in their own mind. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 17 says this, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You want to see that change happen in your life, you have to have a transformation and once you come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, all those old things are passed away and everything becomes new. There can be no change or at least no lasting change unless there is a complete transformation by accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior. That root of the word transformed has the same idea as metamorphosis. You know what metamorphosis is? That's what happens when a caterpillar enters a cocoon and it comes out later as a butterfly, right? I'm sure you remember learning about that in school, but the caterpillar doesn't change its basic nature. Metamorphosis revealed what, what was already there in the genes of that, cat, uh, that caterpillar. Caterpillars can't fly, but they were born to fly. How do you solve that, that conundrum? Of course, it's with metamorphosis. When, caterpillars, uh, when a caterpillar has been changed into a butterfly, it becomes what God always intended it to be. Now think about this. Just study the caterpillar for a couple minutes. Let's take, let's take a half a dozen caterpillars and sit them on a table and watch them crawl around. And you, if you didn't know anything about metamorphosis, you would say there's no way that that caterpillar is ever going to learn how to fly, right? But then it goes through that process that God designed for that caterpillar to go through. It enters that cocoon and it comes out later on with wings. And that, and that caterpillar, which is now a butterfly, a complete transformation from what that caterpillar used to be, crawls out of that cocoon and flies away. And somebody looking at that would say, there's no way that that, that that caterpillar would ever be able to fly. But when it goes through that transformation process, then it can. And that's exactly what we have to go through in our lives. God, When God gets a hold of a life, there's no telling what change can take place. And you might be looking at somebody, you might even be looking at yourself and, there's, and saying, there's no way that God could change me. There's no way that God could do something with my life. You might be looking at somebody else, and, and, and you know, uh, a lot of times we tend to think of the, those that are involved in the, in the world of drugs or gangs or, or in prison and things like that and say, there's no way that God can change somebody like that, and then God gets a hold of their life. They get saved, and, and that transformation that takes place in their life is amazing to see what God can do in somebody's life, but it all begins with salvation. Change starts with salvation, but also, number two, change continues with obedience, there's a lot of people who get saved and see that transformation from death to life. They see that difference 
that Christ made in their life, and that's where they stop. A tadpole that's born is a great little thing, but tadpoles were never meant to stay as tadpoles. They were meant to become frogs. And you, you can imagine a tadpole swimming around and thinking how great life is, not knowing what life as a frog can really be like. And oh, could you imagine just being a frog? I mean, how wonderful that would be. But tadpoles were never meant to stay as tadpoles. They were meant to become frogs, right? Could you imagine if a tadpole was just so happy with his life the way that he was and he never wanted to change, right? He wouldn't be able to eat those flies. He wouldn't be able to do all those things that a, that a frog gets the wonderful opportunity to do. But that's the same thing with our life as Christians, right? It, we become a Christian and we see that change and it's wonderful and we have that peace and we have that, that, that knowledge that we're going to spend eternity in heaven with Jesus Christ someday. And then most people stop there and they never see what a true transformation can do in a life that continues in obedience to the word of God and continues changing the things that they never thought they would change in their lives. John chapter 15 and verse number 16 says this, You have not chosen me, but I've chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. The whole context of that passage is talking about really brotherly love. John 15, uh, 13 says, Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. But God says, I want you to bring forth fruit. You were not designed just to, to grow up and not do anything. You were designed to bring forth fruit and have fruit that remains. Let me share a couple of verses with you to illustrate. Turn over to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1. This is a verse that's familiar to you, uh, or at least to most of us, and probably at some point along the line you've memorized it. But when it comes to the Word of God, the Word of God brings about that transformation, but only if we follow the Word of God in obedience you can read the Bible all you want to. If you don't follow what it says, you're not, going to be, you're not going to see that change, right? We have to obey the word of God. We have to continue in that obedience to the word of God. Jo Joshua chapter 1 and verse number 8 says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. He said, don't let, the word, don't let the word of the law depart out of your mouth. Meditate on it. Read it. Pray about it. But it can't stop there. Right? You're not going to have that good success. You're not going to have that prosperous way. That, but he says that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. Is it easy to follow every command in the Bible? No, it's not. Right? Some things are hard for us. Because we've never done that or we've never heard that before. And, and when God transforms our life and we start getting into the word of God and we find out, wow, I really need to do this to make my life more pure. I really need to do this to make my life more like him. I need to do this to make my life more holy. I need to stop doing this so that I, so that I can stay away from the things that God dislikes. Right? And sometimes we find that those are hard things to do because it takes surrender. Because it takes sacrifice. And those are things that we don't usually like to do. But God requires those of us if we're going to see that successful change take place. Turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy chapter 5. Here's another verse that we see. And of course, these are Old Testament books. But what a, what a, what a promise and what a reminder to us. Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse number 29 
Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse number 29. And think about the heart of God here as he's writing these verses through Moses. But he says, oh, that there were such an heart in them. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 29. Oh, that there were such an heart in them that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always that it might be well with them and with their children forever. You know what God is saying? I want to bless them. I want to give them the, the blessings that come from obedience. Oh, that they would just do it so that I can bless them. Oh, if they would just realize that if they would follow my commands, the blessings that would come as a result of that, they, they can't even comprehend. He says that. Oh, that there were such an heart in them that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always that it might be well with them and with their children forever. What a promise. But that promise comes only as a result of our obedience to everything that we find in the word of God. And God says, oh, that they would just have a heart to serve me. Oh, that they would just have a heart to love me. Oh, that they would just have a heart to follow my commandments. And then I can bless them and I can bless their children and I can bless their generations after them forever. That's what we talked about yesterday. And I, I've mentioned it many times before, but we're, we're, we're building a church here, not so that it can last for one generation and we can accomplish everything that we can do and bring all the accolades on ourselves and, and then be done. We want this church to be here in a hundred years from now, just as strong or stronger than it is today. And the way that that happens is that we get as close to the word of God today as we possibly can. And everybody in our church was surrendered to the will of God for their lives and surrendered to obedience to the word of God so that God can bless our generation and the next generation and the next and the next and the next generation so that this church will continue to be a light in this community for years and generations to come. We've not accomplished anything for God's eternal glory if this church lasts for 25 or 30 or 50 years and then it dies. It means we failed in reaching that next generation. And many times we fail in reaching the next generation because we fail in our obedience to the word of God in this generation. And that next generation sees that. And they know it's not real to us. We give it lip service. We say we love the word of God. We say we want to follow the word of God. But in, in the way that we live and the way that we act, we really don't. And that next generation coming behind sees that. They say it wasn't real to them. Why should I make it real to me? And I want it to be real in my life. I want it to be real in your life so the next generation will make it real in their lives as well. That's what God wants us to do. God wants to bless us. God's, God's not this boogeyman that's out there waiting for you to do something wrong so he can smash you. He's not, he's not waiting with, the, with his thumb hanging over our lives so, he, so you do something a little bit wrong. He says, perfect, I get to squish him. That's not, that's not the God we serve. Now, God has to punish sin, and God will chastise his children, but God says, I just wish that they would follow me. I just wish that they would do what's right so I can bless them the way that I want to bless them, so I can give them everything that I have for them. I wonder how many things we're going to find out when we get to heaven that we were not able to have, that God wanted to give to us, but we just, because we weren't obedient to him, we didn't get what he had. I have a feeling of how ashamed we're going to be someday when we stand before God and we see all of those things that he wanted to give us and that he wanted to give our church that we couldn't have because we just didn't follow him in obedience. Within every Christian, God puts a heart to love and to serve him. Those Christians who get saved and stop growing or grow for a short time and quit 
are fighting against a God-given desire for them. That's why every one of us, uh, unless we're extremely backslidden, every one of us wants to to be right with God. Even if we're not, we, we say we want to because that desire is given to somebody who truly is born again. The more you quench the Holy Spirit in living inside of you, the easier it is to say yes to the flesh and no to that convicting power of the Holy Spirit. The whole time you're walking away from him, not only is he convicting you, but you're inherently knowing that what you're doing is not right. Well, you, you, you might say, how do I know if something's right or not? Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. If we would use this as our measuring stick in everything that we do, boy, we would not displease our Savior. We would know if things are right or not. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 5 says this, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Every thought, bringing that into obedience to Jesus Christ. That's a goal. I don't, know if it's, I don't know if it's something that we could ever do, but it's something we ought to be trying to do. Bring every thought into subjection to Jesus Christ. A Christian who is earnestly desiring to live for Christ will take every opportunity to obey God's commands as they're preached and as they're read in the Bible. And God will show him what's right and what's wrong, but there can be no doubt that the key to that is obedience. You can hear it all you want to, but until you decide that you're going to obey it, We'll never see the blessings that come from God. The moment you stop following God in obedience is the moment you can begin to allow pride and all these other things to take over and the growth stops. Turn over to 1 John chapter 2. I remember when Jackson was probably eight or nine years old and he wasn't six foot tall yet and he thought he was going to stay short the rest of his life. <laughs> he's shooting up this year. He's, he's almost as tall as, as my wife now. And I, I, remember the, I remember the day I passed my mom, and, and you walk by, and you have to look at the top of her head, you know, because you're taller than she is now. Right? My mom was 5'2", so it wasn't that hard. But my wife's a little bit taller than that, and Jackson's almost there, I suppose. But he thought that because he wasn't six foot tall at eight years old, that he's going to be destined to be short for the rest of his life. And uh, there's nothing wrong with that. There would be a problem with a boy that got to Jackson's height and stopped growing, right? Every, every boy wants to grow and be tall and strong and everything else. But the same is true, and even more critically, for somebody who is a Christian and does not have a desire to grow. Well, I've, I've made some good steps in my life. Boy, you see where I was. You see where God took me from and what God pulled me out of and where I am today. I'm, I'm, I'm doing a whole lot better than I was there. So I, I think it's, you know, hey, I'm, I'm making some good progress. And you just get comfortable where you're at. Listen, it doesn't matter how far you've come from where you are. We have a, lot, a, a long way to go before we are exactly like Christ. And we're never going to get there until we get to heaven because we'll never be perfect, but we ought to be trying to get there. And if you, if you stop growing in your life, then there's a problem. If you stop trying to be better for the cause of Jesus Christ today than you were yesterday, then there's a problem. 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 3 says this, And hereby we do know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. How do you know if you're saved or not? How do you know if you know Jesus Christ is your savior or not? You keep his commandments. That's one of the evidences of salvation, 
right? We don't, we don't, we don't uh, follow his commandments to be saved. We follow his commandments because we are saved, right? And he that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. You say you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Then prove it by the way that you live. You say you know Jesus Christ? Then live like him. There's a lot of Christians, quote-unquote Christians out there, who say they know Jesus Christ as their Savior, who claim to be Christians who are not following Jesus Christ. And I'm not saying that a Christian cannot backslide and get away from those things. It's obviously very possible because we see examples of that in the Bible. And we see ways that we can come back and ways that, that Paul in, in, in the epistles, uh, uh, in his writings especially, uh, said, come back, right? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So it's possible to be a Christian who is in sin. But if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, and if you're living... For if you say you know him, and if you say that you're saved, then you ought to be living for him. And by the way, that's one of the pieces of evidence of true repentance. There will be a change in your life. You, can't, you cannot continue living the way that you were if you truly repented of your sin and turned to Jesus Christ. That's, that's what we find here in 1 John chapter 2. Change begins with salvation, but it continues with obedience. And the last thing, turn back over to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, where we started. Change begins with salvation. Change continues with obedience. But number three, change is fulfilled in holiness. Romans chapter 12 and verse number one. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, I beg you by the mercies of God that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. See, when our earnest prayer is, God, change me, then we'll have no problem with obedience. The problem is getting to that point where we really say, God, change me, because you know what? Most people just don't want to change. Oh, they'll say, you know, when you, when, they'll say, I want to be right with God. I want to live for God. I want to be a Christian that he's pleased with. I want to do the things that he wants me to do, but just don't ask me to change. That's not... Christianity. That's not following Christ. If we truly know Christ, then we'll want to change and be more like him. When you have no problem with obedience, then you'll embrace holiness as your ultimate goal. Change me gives us that indication that you have a desire to be better, and it indicates that humility and the fact that I'm not what I want to be. I'm not where God wants me to be, but I want to be what God wants me to be. And that's a hard prayer to pray. Change me is a hard prayer to pray because it's easy to say. It's very, very hard to mean it because when you ask God to change you, you know what God will do? He'll start putting your finger on all of these things that you need to change. And that's when it gets difficult. God, change me. I want to be like you. All right, change this. Start here. Well, you know. I mean, that's something that, uh, you know, I, I mean, that's, that's mine. I can't do that. Okay, fine, change this. Well, I mean, I, I, mean, I want to be like you. I, I want to be right with you, and I want to do what you want me to do. But, but, but that, 
give me something else. What else can I change? Right? And we do that in our lives. And that's not genuinely asking God, change me. If you have things that you're not willing to change, then your prayer is not change me. Your prayer is accept me the way that I am. And let me tell everybody that I want God to change me. And let me tell everybody that I am a Christian who wants to do what's right. But, but, but don't ask me to change that. All right? It's, it, Jeremiah 29, verse 13 says, And you shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all your heart. You know what that means? That means that I'm saying, God, here's the master key to every single room in my heart. You go in there and change whatever room you want to change. You have access to every corner of every place. But you know what most Christians do? God, here's the master key. It works on every room except these two. Don't go in there. Those are things that are mine that I'm just not going to change. You can't have those. And God goes in and, and he starts knocking on that door. I want to come in here. You know that this needs to change. Let me in. Let me have the key that opens this door stuff in there that I just don't want you to see. Come on, let me, let me open that door. Let me get in there. I, I promise you I'll make that room way better than you ever thought it would be. Just let me in there. Let me clean those things out. All right, here's the key. And you know what? God gets into that room and he starts making those changes and you start seeing him blessed because he's cleaning out the things that need to be cleaned out. And it gets exciting. When we have places in our heart that are closed off, where we say, God, I'll, I'll follow you in every area except that one. I'll do everything you want me to do except that. I can't do that. I, I won't do all these things that you don't want me to do except that. I have to keep doing that. You, you, you know me. You know everything about me. You, you, you know that that's who I am. I, I have to keep doing that. And we block those things off from God. We are blocking the blessings that come from obedience. And though we can say it all we want to with our lips, we truly do not desire holiness. Holiness is saying, God, I'm an open book in front of you. Search me, oh God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's when we've gotten to the point where we're really ready to pray, God, change me. But if we really want to pray and we really are willing to pray, God, change me, that is the path to holiness. My ultimate goal is to be holy. I want to be like Jesus. I'll not be satisfied until I'm like Christ. Isn't that what David said in Psalm 17, verse 15? He said this, as for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. Change is fulfilled in holiness. The more I sincerely ask God to change me, the more holy I'm going to be. Romans chapter 8, verse 29 says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. Those who know Jesus Christ as, his as their Savior have been predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. I'll let you in on a little secret. The moment you ask God to change you and you mean it, you've already started down that path of holiness because that's the first step, and it's a hard first step. 
But that's what it's going to take if we want God to truly use us. In the year 1464, a sculptor by the name of Agostino de Duccio began working on this huge piece of flawed marble. And his intention was to produce a a magnificent sculpture of an Old Testament character. But he got into that thing, and he, he actually worked on that piece of marble for two years. And he found that the flaw was so big in that piece of marble that he gave up, and he quit working on it. And a few years later, in 1501, a 26-year-old sculpture uh, by the name of Michelangelo was offered a considerable amount of money to take that piece that others, after uh, Augustino had tried to do it, others after him and some even said that, that Leonardo da Vinci had tried to work on that piece of marble. But Michelangelo was given a, uh, offered a large amount of money to produce something worthwhile from that enormous block of marble. And the marble had become known as the giant. It was just a massive piece of marble. And, and there were hack marks all over it and certain where you could kind of see maybe a, uh, it's starting to look like a person a little bit. But uh, Michelangelo decided that he was going to take up that, that work. And he, as he began his work, he saw that major flaw at the bottom that, that all these other sculptures had seen as well. But he decided to turn that part of the stone into a broken tree stump that would support the right leg of the person that he was trying to build. And the rest he worked on for four years until he had produced the statue of David. And I'm not an art, whatever you call him. I, I, don't, I don't, don't do anything with art. But it's supposedly one of the greatest masterpieces of art ever produced. 17 feet tall is how big that statue of David is. And it's, it's in a museum today, the, the Academia Gallery in Florence, where people come from all over the world to see it. But how did he do it? After all those other people, and some even well-known, had tried working on that piece, Michelangelo was able to make something out of that flawed piece of marble. This is what he said. He said, in every block of marble, I see a statue as plain as though it stood before me, shaped and perfect in attitude and action. I only have to hew away the rough walls that imprison the lovely apparition to reveal it to the other eyes as mine see it. I think if we were to take the, uh, what he said and say it in colloquial terms, I think he would say, I cut away everything that didn't look like David. Now apply that to our spiritual lives. All of us are works in progress. Every single one of us has something that we need to be working on. We're not finished We're not glorified, we're not perfected, we're not completed, we're all under construction. If you've ever visited a construction zone, you know that it's noisy and it's loud and it's messy and all that hammering and sawing and all that stuff that's going on, it's hard to imagine what the final result is going to be. But God never stops working on us because there's so much work that needs to be done. God sees that sculpture through the marble. God knows exactly what's inside that piece of marble that he's trying to sculpt us into. So many times when that hammer starts to hit and it hurts, and we tell him to stop, quit, God says, just let me keep chiseling. Let me keep working. I know what's in there. I know the potential of that piece of marble. Just let me keep hammering away at it. And the more we allow God to hammer away, the more we're formed into that image of who he created us to be. You're as right with God today as you want to be. Oh, you might say, no, I'm not. I've got so much work to do. I've got so many things that I, that I need to work on and so many things that I need to fix. I know I have so much more growing to do. But let me tell you, you are as right with God today 
as you want to be. Because if you genuinely had that desire to be right with him, you would be. It all starts when you pray, God, change me. When you want to be changed, it all begins with salvation. It continues with obedience, and it's fulfilled in holiness when you're like Christ. And that's something that we all ought to be continuing until the day that we die, or until Jesus Christ comes back, and I hope he does. But we're never going to be perfect. We'll never be able to be just like Christ, but it's something that we should be continuing until the day that we die. Can you pray that prayer this morning? God, please, change me. Change me. Here's the key. It's a master key. It opens every door. Take it, please. And anything that's in my life that's not pleasing to you, change it. Take it out. I want to be like you. I want to be holy. I want to be righteous. I want to live godly until you come back. Can you pray that prayer this morning? God, please, change me into who you want me to be. You'll never regret it. You'll never regret it. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you for your goodness. I thank you for the transformation that you've allowed each one of us that know you as our Savior to go through. I thank you for the, the home in heaven, <coughs> promise of eternal life. But God, I do pray that if there is somebody in here this morning that does not know for sure that they're on their way to heaven, that they'll get that settled today, that they'll go through that transformation process of passing from death to life, from passing from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan unto God. God, that they may receive the forgiveness of their sins and inheritance among them that are sanctified by faith that only comes through Jesus Christ. But God, beyond that, those who are saved, I pray that you'd give us the courage, the boldness, the power to pray, God, please change me. And where changes need to be made, I pray that you'd help us to do it. I pray that you'd use the message this morning in our hearts. I pray that the Holy Spirit would do his work. I, I can only bring the message. The Holy Spirit has to bring the conviction, and I pray that you do that this morning. Thank you for all that you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would please stand.